Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Thursday morning, the 15th of August. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. There have been many days over the last three years that we've described as a dramatic 24 hours. That's since the people of the United Kingdom voted to leave the European Union. The last 24 hours fell into that category. The drama began yesterday when the former British Chancellor of the Exchequer, Philip Hammond wrote in The Times uh, that to leave without a deal would betray the will of the people who had been told there would be a deal and getting a good deal would be easy. Boris Johnson, who has a working majority of one, inclusive of Hammond's support, responded by saying Hammond and others are involved in a terrible collaboration with the EU to block Brexit. Nancy Pelosi was next to enter the debate. The Democratic Speaker of the US House of Representatives directly contradicted Donald Trump's advisor John Bolton. Bolton had promised an American free trade deal with the UK if it left Europe. He said many Americans were leavers before Brexit happened. But Pelosi said there would be no trade deal with America if Brexit undermined the Good Friday Agreement, reiterating what she told the doll here last April. Good Friday Accord because of what it says is possible for the entire world. A reason to hope that in every place that dreams that reconciliation will be possible for them too. It showed us, as President Clinton said, what is possible when you decide to give your children not only your yesterdays, but their own tomorrows. I've said it before and I'll say it again. We must ensure that nothing happens in the Brexit discussions that imperils the Good Friday Accord, including but not limited to the seamless border between the Irish Republic and Northern Ireland. Let me be clear. If the Brexit deal undermines the Good Friday Accords, there would be no chance of a U.S.-U.K. trade agreement. As you face the challenges posed by Brexit, know that the United States Congress, Democrats and Republicans in the House and in the Senate stand with you. Especially now, as the first generation born into the hope of Good Friday, imagine 
Stefano, since that night you had David Trimble and John Hume at the, at the U2 concert. Children born then, 21 years old now, entering their adulthood, knowing peace. We cannot jeopardize that. We Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of uh, the House of Representatives, uh, addressing Bono, who was in uh, the gallery uh, during uh, that address uh, to the doll, which took place in April, probably more typical of uh, the type of communication that people of my age group would be familiar with. More typical it is uh, than how Boris Johnson uh, communicated with people in the United Kingdom yesterday. He took to Facebook and a Facebook live event in which people were typing in questions to him and he he was reading them as they were coming in and responding on a camera which people could watch on the social network. One of them came from a fellow called Luther and he said, I'd like to know Mr Johnson how you intend to leave the EU on the 31st of October with no movement from the EU on their terms and still so much opposition to this uh, Brexit in Parliament. And this is what the Prime Minister had to say to Luther. Luther, you've, you've asked the crucial question, and there's a, there's a terrible kind of uh, collaboration, as it were, going on uh, between uh, people who think they can block Brexit in Parliament and our, our European friends. And our European friends are not moving uh, in their opposition to, uh, in their willingness to compromise. They're not compromising at all on the withdrawal agreement, even though it's been thrown out three times. They're sticking with every letter, every uh, comma of the withdrawal agreement, including the the backstop, because they still think that Brexit can be blocked in Parliament. And so the awful thing is that the longer that goes on, uh, the more likely it is, of course, that we will uh, be forced to leave with a a no-deal Brexit. That's not what I want. It's not what we're aiming for. But we need our European friends to compromise. And uh, the more they think that uh, there's a chance that Brexit can be blocked in Parliament, uh, the more adamant they are in sticking uh, to their position. But, uh, Luther, I want you to know that I remain confident that we'll get there. Uh, We will uh, come out of the European Union on October the 31st, because I think in the end, uh, both our friends in uh, other European capitals and I think MPs will see that it's vital to get on and and to do it. Boris Johnson in uh, the modern world uh, speaking on uh, that Facebook Live video yesterday telling Luther that there's a tel- terrible collaboration between Philip Hammond and others and the European Union to block Brexit. Uh, and the questions kept coming for the Prime Minister as you can imagine. One came uh, from Mickey who wanted to know what the Prime Minister would do to protect what he described as our Union of nations. Mickey is a farmer in Scotland. Well, Mickey, there's lots of things I think we should be doing, but one as, as Minister for the Union that I think is very important is, is to stress the benefits that flow to us all from the Union. And I was absolutely bowled over in Scotland uh, recently uh, to see investments uh, flowing. The last two times I've been there, I went up to the, uh, to the, the nuclear a submarine base at Fast Lane and also, of course, to the shipbuilding yard at, at Govan. And I saw thousands of jobs, uh, high-class, high-skill, wonderful jobs uh, in Scotland uh, that are directly created as a result of investments from 
uh, from the whole of the UK and therefore showing how Scotland in particular benefits from uh, participation in the most successful uh, political uh, union of the last uh, few centuries. And uh, I think it's very important as, as Prime Minister and Minister for the Union that I talk up those successes, whether it's in science, in R&D, in education, all the investments that flow to Northern Ireland, Wales, Scotland, uh, the, uh, uh, the England as, as part of the, uh, of the Union. So that's one of the things we're going to be doing. Boris Johnson talking up uh, some of the challenges uh, that he's tackling, uh, and indeed I think uh, the Prime Minister and his supporters for that matter, probably value the way there's this positive approach being taken taken by the Prime Minister and the new Cabinet towards Brexit and indeed other issues at hand. But what if there is a move to block Brexit? This was a question that was put in uh, this Facebook Live performance uh, from uh, the Prime Minister yesterday by Sam. Sam, I think the British public have had a lot of elections uh, and uh, electoral events. They had the election in 2015, they had the referendum in 2016, they had another election in 2017. I think what they want us to do is get on and deliver Brexit on October the 31st. And I never tire of telling you that is what we are going to do. So Boris uh, saying that uh, even if they do try to block uh, Brexit, uh, they won't be successful, that they'll leave regardless, uh, and uh, that's the nature of politics. But have people got faith in politics and politicians, for that matter, after the last three years of uh, division, chaos and broken promises? That's a question uh, that the Prime Minister responded to from Amy. I think that, uh, Amy, that's really the I think I'd give you the same kind of answer in fact exactly the same answer Amy we're coming out of the European Union on October the 31st I think that's what the British people voted for and they they feel very frustrated that three years after they gave that instruction and after the British Parliament promised again and again to people that we would do it uh, that uh, they feel very annoyed and frustrated that we haven't. So that's the first thing we're going to do. Boris Johnson, again, confident and talking up the prospect of leaving, which he says will happen without any doubt on the 31st of October. There was a similar question from somebody else called Shao, who wanted to know what the Prime Minister would do for people who felt isolated from the politics of London and Westminster. I think that is a, a great point. Uh, shall because one of the things I want to do you know even before we've delivered Brexit is to do far more to unite our country and and bring it t- together and I do think that Brexit was at least partly about people in uh, uh, towns and, and regions of the UK feeling that they weren't being heard and we have we want to do a lot more to revive local democracy with a program of devolution uh, devolving powers to uh, towns and, uh, and communities around the UK, but also levelling up across the UK. All right. It was a, an odd thing that Boris Johnson did yesterday, and uh, I'm not sure if we like what he said, but I think we like what he, he did to this questions and answers approach to the public, a little bit like questions and answers, if you like, on TV, except that the Prime Minister, or if it was here, the Taoiseach, took questions directly from the public in a public forum. And, uh, of course, uh, there were all sorts of questions, not just about Brexit. He spoke about health and crime and other issues that would be of relevance 
uh, to uh, the British people. He also spoke about himself when he was asked about his heroes. We know that Winston Churchill is one of his heroes, but it was Oliver who asked him who he would say was his favourite political hero. Oliver, I would, I would uh, obviously Winston Churchill's one, but I would mention Pericles of Athens, uh, who believed in uh, all sorts of wonderful things. Uh, he certainly believed in great infrastructure projects. Uh, he believed in the importance of the many, not the few. But above all, Pericles will go down as one of the most powerful uh, articulators of the idea of democracy, which is that the people are ultimately in charge of their own destiny. And it's because the people uh, took that decision to leave the European Union that we're going to come out on October the 31st, uh, whatever happens. Anyway, I think that's all I've got time for today for this edition of uh, People's PMQs. Uh, Thank you all very much for tuning in. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Prime Minister. Boris Johnson speaking on Facebook Live yesterday. Very, very interesting uh, approach and indeed some very interesting statements. Now, a lot of the statements we've been listening to have been on Brexit because that's obviously what we're interested in and the Prime Minister's comments about this terrible conspiracy between Philip Hammond and others and the European Union to block Brexit. That stemmed from the article in the Times newspaper yesterday and the subsequent interview that Mr Hammond gave to BBC Radio 4. Well, I don't think they can have it both ways. They can't say we failed to prepare Britain for a no-deal exit and we're moving rapidly into the well-prepared camp um, in three weeks. Um, A great deal of preparation has been done uh, and there is no doubt that some of the disruption that might have occurred uh, in the early days of a no-deal exit um, has been effectively um, mitigated. But Um, preparing doesn't solve the longer-term problems. Um, Michael Gove is talking about uh, an intervention fund to buy lamb uh, and dispose of it because there will be no market for it. Now, that's probably a perfectly sensible thing to do in the first few months after a no-deal exit. But you can't be doing it five years later, ten years later. The uh, impact on the British economy of restructuring... Uh, to deal with the disruption to our patterns of trade and business that a no-deal exit would create will have a very negative impact on jobs, on prosperity and on some regions of the UK in particular. So what about that negative impact on jobs, prosperity and indeed on Northern Ireland, which I think it's clear Mr Hammond uh, was referring to in uh, that last sentence of uh, that clip from his interview with BBC yesterday, saying that a a no-deal exit should not happen under any circumstances and he would endeavour to do anything and everything possible to stop such a thing because it would be a betrayal of the people who voted, those people who voted for Brexit. His argument was he they believed that they were voting to leave Europe with a deal, that it would be smooth and that it would be easy and that it wouldn't result in the type of chaos that he was talking about. So how willing is he to block a no-deal Brexit? Is he willing to vote no confidence in Boris Johnson, if that's Mr Johnson's intention? And is he willing to back an alternative caretaker government? This is what the leader of the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, has been asking Mr Hammond and others. I hope that they will all support the motion of no confidence that I will put, and that will ensure that this government then cannot 
continue with this headlong pursuit of a no-deal Brexit, and that would mean a caretaker government led by Labour, which would be a government in order to prevent a no-deal Brexit and bring about a general election so the people of this country can decide their future. Immediately we'd seek an extension to Article 50. That clearly is a result of negotiations with the European Union, so it's hard to say how long that would be, but obviously long enough to have a general election and for the new Parliament to be able to legislate for the future. And I hope that that Parliament would legislate so that the people would have a choice between the no-deal Brexit that Boris Johnson's offering or remaining in the European Union. But there has to be a popular decision on this. Jeremy Corbyn, as we said at the outset, it's been another dramatic 24 hours in Planet Brexit. Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's talk about uh, direct provision if we can. Uh, This is uh, the system of uh, providing food and board for people seeking asylum in uh, this country, people who live in places like Mosny that you'd be familiar with. And there's quite a few of them who are in this situation, over 6,000 people, 6,082 people in direct provision as we speak today. 27% of those are children. This is according to figures which have been given to Fianna Fáil's spokesperson for children, Anne Rabbit, who's on the line with us this morning. A very good morning to you and uh, thanks indeed uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. That equates uh, to 1,600 people who are under the age of 18 who live in these centres like uh, Mosny and uh, other places across the country. That's correct, Michael. And of that figure as well, the 1,600, 1,400 of them are under 12 years of age that are living in direct provision. So that's 1,400 of them that are going to national school if we just want to make it easier for the listeners to think about it and think about their own kids. So 1,400 children in direct provision are under 12 years of age and the others, um, the other 200 are just over it. Right. Uh, and what kind of conditions are they living in? Well, the conditions, uh, as look at, they, 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 they're, they're The conditions to me as a mum myself would not find it suitable for the simple reason being is a lot of them are sharing bathrooms, they're sharing kitchen areas, they're not having their own family space whatsoever. While they are very grateful to be taken away from the countries that they have seeked asylum and refuge from, um, at the same time what they are going into from a child protection point of view would not be fit for purpose, Michael, because when you are sharing bathrooms and you're under 12 years of age and everything else like that, we have to bring into child protection issues like the people that are going and seeking asylum and mm. refuge in Mosnay. Not everybody is guarded by it by any manner or means. So we don't know how we're mixing adults with children. We wouldn't do it to our own children, so I can't see why would we, we would be doing it to, to children that are a hell of a lot more vulnerable. OK, but are these children not with their parents? They are with their parents. Of course they're with their parents, Michael. And in some cases, some aren't with their parents. But they, they, they're all, they might be with one adult, okay, or they might be with a grandparent. But in a lot of cases, yes, they are with their parents. But their parents can't be with them um, all of the time, is what I'm saying. So, like, when you see that we have over 344 children um, out in the Mosley Centre, of which is only supposed to be licensed to have 600, we have over 730 mm. people in total out of Mosley. So, first and foremost, we have overcrowding taking place out there. And secondly, 50% of the, the population out there are young people that need protection. And how do you fit 700 people into a site that has capacity for 600? That I can't. That I find unbelievable as to how it is actually happening. So there must be an awful lot of overcrowding and an awful lot of, 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 of 
bunking up as you would say um, mm. because it's hard to believe it was fit for purpose for 600 having an extra 132 people out there is quite unimaginable but then again we have a housing crisis here in case any of your listeners ring in and there's an awful lot of people living in overcrowded situations so we acknowledge that as well but at the same time um, we are accepting people in and we're, we're providing them with refuge but we don't have the space either be able to accommodate them. We, we provide them with refuge on one hand, but when you talk about child protection, I, I take it uh, that you're concerned that whilst we may be giving them refuge, uh, that there is concern uh, that they're also being exploited if not abused. Absolutely. And I'm not saying they are, but at the same time, I have concerns. And um, I, I, I do think, as spokesperson for children for Fianna Fáil, if I wasn't highlighting these issues and bringing it to the forefront, we can't be talking out the two sides of our mouth, um, providing the refuge, but still not providing the protection for these young people. And they are very, very vulnerable, Michael. Right. Uh, and some of them are very, very young. Uh, you spoke about uh, the 1,400 who are under the age of 12. Almost 700 are under the age of four. That is correct. And in the Mosley site is the largest site where we have 115 under the age of four, um, which is a huge number of young young people um, in their early years. And the settings that we're setting for them and what we're presenting as being normal is being overcrowding. Um, the doubling up in spaces and the sharing of bathrooms uh, and not providing them with the full protection. Um, and the, 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 the adults that they're accompanying them, um, they're grateful, but they don't realise either what they should be, what is acceptable and what's not. So they don't have their own bathrooms uh, and... Uh, and their sh- own kitchenettes or anything else like that. They're sharing all, the, it's all communal spacing. Uh, and are there uh, ladies and gents' bathrooms? Um, from what I the, the the information that I have, it, it's the sharing. It's communal. Okay? It's communal. So, young yes. and old, male and female. Yes, absolutely. Um, young people as well. Mm. Well, that's a, a recipe for disaster in itself, isn't it? Particularly if you've well, got a, 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 a young exactly. person in a bathroom of a, a different gender than an adult. Yes, exactly, Michael. We well, have huge concerns. Okay, and what about uh, the teenagers? Uh, are you concerned about uh, young girls uh, and uh, how? Of course. I am. Uh, of course I am. And, and so would anybody else who was reading that report and seeing those figures. Mm. That when you are sharing that communal space with no guard of eating, and I keep going back to this, mm. there's, everybody is using the one space. And I'm not saying that everybody is a bad person by no yep. manner or yep. means. Yep. But at the same time, we're expecting everybody to live together. We have no guard mm. of eating taking place. Plus you have, as you would say, teenagers and young, um, young, young people under four mm. um, all sharing the one space. It is a recipe for disaster and it's where I'm sort of making the plea at this moment in time Mm. that if where we have overcrowding we we have to address this issue first and foremost but we also have to protect our youth or we will have another report from Tusla in time to come of where we will have had instances which could have been prevented. Well I I take it uh, there has to be concern uh, apart from uh, the obvious concerns about what might happen in those bathrooms if children are being uh, abused or whatever that uh, young girls in particular are being pimped out. Yes. And trafficking, um, and while people don't like to talk about child trafficking or anything else like that, are being mm. pimped out. Um, it, it is going on. Mm. Not just in direct provision, but it is going on. And it's something that we should be trying to prevent and stamp out completely. And we can prevent it. Well, this isn't trafficking. I mean, uh, this is uh, delivering uh, the women or, or, or the girls to the pimps, isn't it? 
It's pretty shocking stuff. It is, absolutely. Uh, and, uh, and there is evidence of that happening, is there? There is. So it is something that we can prevent. It's something that yeah. we need to be having the conversation about. Um, and these children in the mornings are going into the same schools that our kids are going into. They're, they're part of the whole setup. So we need to be not just looking after um, the, the, the Irish kids, we need to be looking after the children in direct yeah. provision. And that's what is so heartbreaking about it. Sometimes they've become the forgotten child and they should not be the forgotten child, any of the children in direct provision. Um, we should be having the same watchdog looking out for those kids as mm. we are looking out for every other child in the state. Okay, and, and if there's a, a child living in direct provision with or without their parents, with or without some sort of guardianship uh, and uh, they're being prostituted like this, if they're being pimped out like this? Uh, is there someone they can go to to seek help that's uh, there for that purpose? Well, we do have the services within within Tusla. There is no denying that. We have the uh, women's On site, though, in, in Mosnia. I mean, I, I think uh, there's a, a great fear uh, of complaining in these places uh, because of how you may be treated. At least that's what uh, the asylum seekers contend quite often. Yes, it, it is. And I, I, I suppose, like, also nobody wants to actually acknowledge that he's going on on their site either as well, Michael, which mm-hmm. is a huge problem of when they're trying to seek help or to seek support to actually find ourselves out of that particular situation. So... Mm. They're very. Unf- they seem to be very un- unfriendly places to people from outside. I think on occasion, public representatives gain access into Mosny, but generally the gates are there, the security guards are, are mm. there, and it's closed to the public. And we're on the outside, and we don't really know what's going on on the inside. It, it, it sort of has uh, resonations of what happened in the industrial schools years ago. Yes, it does. Now, in fairness to Minister Staunton, he has tried to break down that barrier, and I have to acknowledge that, because I would have spoken to him on numerous times about this, okay? But you are right. There is a a real break, or there is a real barrier between the outside world and what's going on inside. It's not one of those where there's, um, what would you say, there's good community involvement outside and inside. Um, so they don't, they find it hard mm. to build relationships. It's very hard for the, the general public. If there was um, support that needs to be put in place or mm. areas of identifying it, people are finding it hard to reach out, Michael, and also reach in to help out. Mm. And years ago, if you were a child, you'd be told you'd put into one of these homes and uh, people used to giggle and snigger and say that they knew what was going on in those homes and what way children were being treated. That won't happen, I suppose, uh, to people living in uh, the wider community now that they won't threaten to put their children into uh, asylum seeker uh, centres uh, if they're being bold. Uh, but for years we've been talking uh, about the threat to children, uh, the child protection issues, uh, the fear of them being uh, abused physically or sexually or indeed being prostituted for that matter. Yes, and it, it will be a black mark on society in years to come when the history has been written when it sees that we haven't done enough or we haven't intervened enough. But I did hear a ray of good hope during the week in relation to um, how they're trying to organise school books. And I don't know if you've heard this story, Michael, that if people have school books at home, be it national or secondary school, because they're only earning, they only get 28 euros a week for a child's allowance and back to school is so, so expensive that they have set up a, a grouping in all all the areas around the country where there's direct provision, where parents who have books that they don't need, that they 
they can drop into these centres, not in direct provision centres now, mind you, mm. but in a shop nearby where they can leave books so that the children can have proper school books going back to school and supplies. Yeah, and they're the important things because uh, these children, uh, whilst they uh, may live in these centres and live this very unusual lifestyle, unusual to us in the way we live our lives and uh, interact with their families and uh, the community uh, they are on the other hand to them very much part of our community and going to school every day absolutely and that's the real part of their world they go to school every day they want to be part of education they are making friends and everything else and we should be supporting them 100% so earlier on this week I'd heard on a particular radio show that somebody had set up this grouping where they mm. were going to ask all people if they had spare secondary or national school books or, or even school supplies like copy books or pencils to drop them off you will see it there on, on a web page and also you know it Education is their way out of where they are, Michael, as well. Mm. This, is, this, is, this is a huge barrier which has been that they pride themselves on their education. The conditions of where they have to go home at night to do their homework, they're doing it on their beds, they're sitting up on their, on their wee beds and they're doing their homework. They're not sitting up to the kitchen table or a study desk. That would be a privilege. There is none of that about. They're sitting up, doing it with their earphones on, trying to keep out the noise barriers mm. to ensure that they have their homework done for the next morning. They pride themselves on that, Michael. But they are the conditions that they're living in and other than changing those conditions what else can be done to help these children um well i suppose really one of the things that we're looking at is in relation to making sure that when they come through second level education that they have the opportunity to go on to third level education and as i say work themselves out of it but unfortunately people are spending far too long in direct provision we we don't want families spending as long as they have been like the direct provision service that has been set up in ireland is here for the last 20 years it's totally out of date it's not fit for purpose and we need to be moving people through the the asylum process a hell of a lot quicker. Okay, we'll leave there for the moment. Thank you indeed, as always, for joining us today. And Rabbit is Fina Falls spokesperson for Children and Youth Affairs. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Well, the leaving search is over and uh, people will start making their plans uh, from here on out, especially from two o'clock today onwards when uh, the first round of CAO offers are made. And if you are going to college, perhaps you'd be interested in your essential guide for going to college education 2019, which is a supplement this week with uh, the Irish Country Living uh, magazine. And and we're joined by Odile Evans, who's uh, the careers editor with Irish Country Living. And a very good morning to you, Odile, and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, you're taking a, a look at every step going from second level education into becoming a college student. Yeah, I suppose um, in the in the guide this week, uh, it's, it's about reassuring people and telling them what they can expect when they go to college. Because I suppose you spend the last two years studying and planning for the leaving cert and doing the absolute best but then the next part is all it's quite rushed you know you've a couple mm. of weeks you make up your mind what, what what course to accept you get you start uh, getting accommodation and moving and all the rest of it and it's it's exciting but it's scary so uh, and uh, it's often the bit that um, <laughs> the thought isn't necessarily put into like what what will this look like for me so we have a bit in the in the uh, country living this week about um, you know accommodation house shares what to look out for especially if you're looking for a you know 
if you're talking to a landlord and going renting a place, we mm. also look at, you know, clubs and societies uh, and tips and tricks and, and you know, what to, what to expect, I suppose. And um, we have a good few uh, interns in the Farmers Journal who are still studying and, uh, and oh, talk good. to them about mm. their experiences. Mm. Okay, well. so you have f- first-hand knowledge in, in that sense. Uh, but I, I take it uh, that uh, accommodation is uh, the biggest challenge for everybody uh, and uh, students are no different in that sense. And it's not just talking to your landlord about the conditions that you might live in, but uh, it's uh, finding somewhere that uh, is not just suitable but affordable. Yeah, exactly. And somewhere that you know you have the space you you need when you need it, because ultimately, you know, you're going to college to study and there will come a time where, you know, it comes down to exams. And if you're living in a house with quite a lot of people, you know, you need your own space um, uh, and you need to be able to, you know, cook or do whatever it needs to be. in your in your own time and and sometimes in 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 houses with quite a lot of people you know that could be difficult to do uh so yeah really really think about where where you're going a lot of first years will uh, take on campus accommodation mm. they'll be on a waiting list and they'll accept it now over the next few days difficult uh, enough to get i i take it and it's become more expensive as we've uh, been hearing recently uh, with a, a lot of uh, the cost of rents increasing and quite dramatically so yeah, yeah, um, the, you know, it's, it's shown that it's gone up by, by millions, <laughs> um, you know, when you add up all the students going into on-campus accommodation. But ultimately, talking to people, they would all recommend that for first years, if you have that option available to you, to take it, because you're right in the hub of things when it comes to, you know, attending lectures and, and going to sports in the evenings. You know, you don't have to worry about um, a, a tenancy agreement like you would if you're, if you're renting a house or something with people. Mm. Um, so it takes certain amount of that, uh, those issues out of it. Obviously, your electricity and all that is usually included in it. So, mm. you know, you, you don't have to worry about those extra bills. And for first years, that can take a lot of the stress out of moving out of things. Uh, and that's if they move, because uh, it might uh, prove better for them not to move and to, to commute. Yeah, yeah. So that's something else we've looked at. Um, you know, if you have the option of, you know, uh, you know sharing uh, driving with somebody or if you could get a bus, you know, there's all really good student deals, particularly monthly deals for students uh, on buses. Also get a leap card because for students, they're capped at a certain amount per day and you could use them if you're in Dublin on Dart and Lewis and uh, as well as the bus. So, yeah, look at those deals. Also, if you're cycling to and from campus, you know, don't get yourself a really good bike because it's likely to be stolen um, and register your bike. <laughs> Oh my God, that's very simple. Yeah. Database. Okay, right. God, I suppose that's uh, the world we live in. All right, uh, but every, every... for country bumpkins, you know, get the one that's most covered in dirt. Okay, <laughs> don't, don't bring the brand new one. All right, okay. Well, if you get a bike uh, expected to be stolen, very good. All right, uh, but it's not just about uh, cycling to school or or, or getting educated. Uh, it's all part of growing up and going to college. Uh, brings with it many changes. Uh, you'll be moving out of home in some circumstances uh, but there's a, a lot of other things that will change in the lives of young people who are moving into this next phase as well Odile. Yeah yeah and as I said like you know you spend two years studying and worrying about leaving certain results and then all in the space of about two weeks you have a whole new world opened up to mm. you and, and it's, it, it, it can be scary but look uh, I think you know t- t- take, take your time familiarise yourself with your, your surroundings go on orientation weeks uh, in the college beforehand mm. get involved in clubs and societies to get to know new people um, and, and look enjoy the experience Is it hard uh, to get to know new people because I mean you're going from a, a class of 20, 30 maybe 40 if you've been very unlucky to uh, maybe 400 people in a lecture hall yeah, oh, definitely. And then it can be um, 
quite intimidating, you know, especially if you've come from one of those smaller secondary schools, as you said, and you're onto a campus. I, know, I think UCD has something mm. over 25,000 students on one campus. It's huge, like. Uh, so, yeah, like, find something you like, uh, if it's a sport or a drama or, or, or debating or something like that. Join in. Uh, get to know people. You'll get to know people within your lectures as well, especially if you're all going to similar lectures. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, don't, don't, don't sit in your room watching Netflix in the evenings, especially for the first few weeks. Get to know people. <laughs> all right. And what else, uh, I mean, uh, should you uh, be looking after yourself in the way that other people might expect you to, or should you let the washing build up and bring it home at the weekends? <laughs> well, that depends on how good your relationship is with your mammy, I suppose. <laughs> Some people will, but no, look, mm. take, you know, you're an adult now uh, and act like one, you know, learn to take responsibility for your own washing and cooking and cleaning and all of that, because otherwise it's going to lead to arguments with your, your housemates, ultimately. Mm. And I suppose you'll have uh, some money to live off. Uh, should you spend that on food or should uh, something else uh, tempt you? Well, look, uh, I think uh, students, you know, part of the whole experience, you know, you're, you're learning to be independent and budget and, you know, how much you have a month. I mean, we have in part of our going to college guide, you know, how, how people manage to balance work with study. Mm. Um, and, and, and both of them said, you know, that they kind of worked to fund their social lives. And I think they were supported from home in terms of their education and their their rent and materials that they needed for that. But and I think that's quite a good model because mm. all of those things stand to you, you know, in four years time or three years time when you come out into the working world that you have experience of working and, and supporting yourself and you know it, it's uh, it's rewarding too to, to be able to, to fund your own social life. Yeah and think about how the family shops when they go shopping rather than going down to a local small shop and buying something that might be more expensive in the supermarket available of bargains if they're available to you. Yeah yeah like a lot of a lot of campuses will have you know um, those convenience stores mm. on the campus and they could be really handy but you know you could be paying twice the price of what you would if you got on your bike and cycled you know two kilometres down the road to the local supermarket so you learn those things the hard way unfortunately but uh, uh, also you know life lessons in the long run really. Very good well there's plenty of information uh, in uh, the paper this week and we'll uh, advise people uh, to take a look at Irish country living if uh, they are going to education or if they've young people in the house who uh, are starting in uh, third level uh, over the course of the next month. But thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Odile Evans, Careers Editor with Irish Country Living. Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's find out what you've been saying to us. Maggie McGuire joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Maggie. Morning, Michael. Um, It's been another busy morning on the phones uh, this morning. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just actually going to refer back to your interview yesterday with uh, Mark Cullen from the HSA and the whole issue of uh, tractor safety. Oh, the HSA. Yeah, HSA, yeah. I should probably uh, uh, advise our listeners uh, this morning that whilst uh, Maggie sounds incredibly (laughs) good, uh, a little bit like Janice Joplin for that matter, that gravelly voice is not just uh, because uh, of late nights uh, and uh, no. socialising. You've a bit of a head cold. A bit of a head cold, so but apologies. Yeah, but it sounds good. <laughs> I don't know about okay. that, but thanks. Yeah. Um, okay. okay, we're talking about tractor safety uh, for those uh, who use tractors and uh, for those uh, other road users uh, who encounter them. Yeah, John was in contact with us. We were talking um, in relation to tractor safety and he describes himself as one of those farmers we were referring to yesterday and he says that the reason why some far, um, some farmers drive their tractors out from the side of the road is that driving too close to the verge will shake the driver and the tractor to bits um, so they want to avoid that and he said for the most part that um, 
farmers when it's safe to do so they'll pull in a, a traffic pass to yes, avoid yeah. cause, causing congestion yeah, which in fairness yeah. is an accurate yeah. statement you know for the it, most part Okay I think you said that is an accurate statement not yeah. an inaccurate statement no, an see, accurate. see the problem with the head cold there is that came across as inaccurate. Oh, there you go. Well, then we go with accurate, definitely. Okay, we'll accurate. go with accurate. And um, on the same subject, Anne was listening to the same interview. Um, she says that more needs to be done to improve road safety across the board, not just in relation to farm machinery on the roads. She says there's a lot of road rage amongst drivers here and it's not, mm. not enough has been done to tackle that. A little common courtesy goes a long way, but it's sadly lacking Irish roads at the minute. Yeah. Everyone is set, on get, is set on getting to where they need to go as quickly as possibly as mm. possible. As possible. And apparently there's no room for manners anymore. Well, that's true. Yeah. 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 And there's an awful lot of people who believe they own the road. Uh, yeah. I mean, people are giving out about tractors. Uh, quite often people give out about cyclists. I had a, a, a very uh, curious situation um, recently. I was at uh, the crossroads, uh, which is a staggered crossroads on the main street of Ratoth. Uh, and a fellow ran in front of me. Okay. And... Uh, took the hard cross because I was about to go because it's a, it is a staggered crossroads mm. and you're kind of looking every way at the same time and uh, this fellow ran in front of the car uh, as I was taking off and then told me to look where I was going. Oh lovely. Mm. Yeah. Well you should so, have known better Michael. So I, I mean you know sometimes I suppose uh, motorists are as guilty and feel that they own the road. Well, this is mm. it. Like, I mean, mm. I think my dad used to always say to me that you can be the best driver in the world. It's not your own driving you need to worry about. It. It's the other people you're meeting on the road. Yeah, and the pedestrians who this step is, off the road. This is a new phenomenon. I don't know if you've noticed it, Maggie, but there's people who walk out in front of you now and put their hand up. Oh, yeah. And tell you to stop. Yeah, because cars, know, cars yeah. don't hit them, mm. apparently. Yeah. I mean, which is all well and good. And mm. nobody minds stopping. No. Nope. So long as you see them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you don't hit them yeah. and you don't knock them down you don't kill them is uh, which is a little bit like the fellow who was jogging who ran in front of me the other day and told me to watch where I was going well, that's mm-hmm. it that was you told no, well, I took it as a lesson yeah. oh absolutely mm-hmm. and on the same subject Martin says that mm-hmm. the lack of basic good manners is the main cause of many of the incidents on our roads everyone is in such a rush to get to where they're going that a, a simple act like letting someone out ahead of you in traffic is a forgotten trait and as a result we're seeing more and more bullish and rude behaviour behind the wheels right okay let's uh, talk uh, about uh, a successful Garda operation which uh, began at half two in the morning uh, yesterday morning or uh, the morning before this is uh, would have been uh, on here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs coming off their parents plan or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wednesday night uh, going in, on Tuesday night going into uh, Wednesday morning uh, when uh, an ATM raid was intercepted in Virginia. They arrested a man, another man was arrested later on and then they conducted a search in Moynalty in County Meath. The 61-year-old man was arrested there. Uh, they also detained a number of vehicles and in excess of €300,000 in cash. Uh, this is an ongoing investigation. Uh, Paul McCabe is uh, uh, local Fianna Fáil councillor and he's on the line and a uh, very good morning to you Paul and thanks uh, for joining us what more do you know about this? Well I suppose first of all Michael what I would say is that uh, this is an ongoing guard investigation and I suppose I, I don't want to say anything that would in any way prejudice um, the case but I mean what I would say all I would say is that there's absolute shock and disbelief uh, among the community in Minolte uh, to think that this was going on um, under our noses so to speak mm. is quite incredible Okay, and I, I think the Gardaí appear to be working off uh, the theory uh, that this may have been linked uh, to all of uh, these ATM raids uh, and over 30 of them uh, north and south of the border in recent months. That's correct, Michael. Um, the superintendent who's, who's leading the, uh, the investigation confirmed yesterday that there is in fact a link between the, as you say, the, the, the recent spate of, of ATM burglaries north and south of the border. Um, and as I say, to think that uh, that uh, the epicentre, so to speak, of of, uh, of that activity is in Manalty, uh, a sleepy a sleepy rural village. As I say, it's 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 really quite incredible, you know. Mm. And uh, what do we know about uh, the individuals who have been arrested? Would they be known locally? Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. There there there, there would be known locally. Um, but I suppose I, I, I would say that you know. There may very well be innocent people, you know, unknowingly implicated in, in all of this as well. Um, people that may have worked, worked, worked in that yard uh, where, the, where the seizure was made yesterday. Um, you know, there, there may very well be local people implicated unknowingly, as I say, uh, in, in all of this as well. OK, and what about this yard? Tell us more, if you will. Uh, what kind of business did people believe uh, was uh, going on there? Well, look, it's it's been reported that that you know there was a legitimate plant hire business being being operated for the last number of years, for for well in excess of twenty years from this yard, um, and you know to all intents and purposes, you know they were carrying out a legitimate a legitimate business, and and working locally, you know, for for lots of local people in the minority area. Okay, but I, I take it there'd be knowledge locally then of where JCBs may be sited across the country. Yes, yes. Um, they would have they would have a number of, of, of machines there located out of that yard um, and it would be a very busy yard, you know, so it would be difficult to it would be difficult to, to kind of identify unusual behaviour because like any other plant hire yard or any other quarry, um, you know, there's this activity, you know, at all hours of the day and night. So um, you know, people wouldn't really local people living adjacent to the yard wouldn't um, 
you know, wouldn't have seen anything kind of out of, out of the ordinary, you know. Mm. And you say the people are known locally and uh, it has come as a surprise. Uh, would they be local people? Uh, not necessarily, no. No, no, they're not, they're not, they're not, uh, they're not, they're not originally from, from, from an alt, you know. No. Okay. Uh, and I, I think uh, that, uh, as you say, uh, the Gardaí, uh, believe that this has been a successful operation up to a point. Undoubtedly, it was a very big and sophisticated operation given the amount of raids that have taken place in recent months. And I'm sure that there were a lot of people involved in the uh, taking of uh, these ATM machines uh, and the different incidents that we heard uh, of uh, and uh, the consequences uh, that uh, ensued. Uh, I gather there may be people living locally who might have more information that the Gardaí would be interested in hearing. Absolutely, and if there is anybody in the locality, um, I would urge them to, to get in touch with um, with uh, Bailabra Garda Station where the, where the investigation is being uh, led from. Um, absolutely, uh, they, they need to get in touch with the guards. Okay. All right. Uh, it certainly was a, a surprise, as you say, Paul. Uh, but uh, thanks uh, for joining us uh, this morning, Paul McCabe, local Fianna Fáil councillor. Now let's go back uh, to some more of your calls. Uh, who else have you been hearing from, Maggie? Um, we've been hearing from Kevin in relation to Boris Johnson. He oh. says that um, Boris Johnson is kidding himself if he thinks he can continue to plough ahead with the UK exit on October 31st. Mm. He can't continue with this ramrod approach he's been taking of late because it's only going to lead to even more friction and tension than already exists. Um, careful negotiation and further discussion is what's needed here and Kevin says Johnson appears to be incapable of either of those things. Okay, alright. Uh, it was interesting though, wasn't it, uh, the way uh, he communicated with people yesterday? Well, via Facebook and yeah. stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, it's an interesting way of doing things, mm. but that seems to be becoming more and more common to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, I don't know of any world leaders who have done it before though, have they? No, mm-hmm. well, no I suppose actually, mm. yeah, when you say it like that, yeah. yeah. And I mean, you'd have to question whether it was... Uh, legitimate or if it was uh, staged in some way. I mean, he was reading... staging something, I doubt. Mm. Well, I mean, he was reading questions off a a screen, but we couldn't see the screen uh, and uh, I don't know if uh, they had pre-planned the questions or whatever. Well, this is a... Mm. They'd have to. Mm. You couldn't spring a surprise on him, could you? (laughs) Really like that. Mm. You'd have to prepare Mm. a little bit. Mm. Um, But on the same subject, uh, Jim says that he honestly believes the deadline's going to come and go on October 31st and that the UK will still be in the EU. Mm. Johnson can be allowed to bully his way through the process or be allowed to do anything that would lead to a return to violence in the north. He says we waited too long and lost too much before we achieved peace and we cannot uh, allow it to be jeopardised by anybody. Okay, well uh, there's certainly a few people who would agree with that and uh, are intent on stopping uh, the UK from leaving without a deal as the case may be. Absolutely, and there's been a lot of reaction to your piece with Anne Rabbit as well about Mm. direct provision centres. Sarah says it was shocking to hear uh, Deputy Rabbit talking about living conditions conditions in these mm. centres. It's ridiculous to think that young and old are expected to share all facilities, particularly bathrooms and bedrooms. We have a responsibility to the asylum seekers we take into this country to ensure that they feel safe and protected where they're living. They're fleeing from unspeakable dangers in their own countries and they deserve to feel safe when they get here. Mm. Um, and on the same subject, and I'll finish up with this one because okay. I'm conscious of the time, mm. Jim says it's pointless for government to continue to bring asylum seekers in 
asylum seekers into this country because they can't provide proper facilities for them. They can't even look after the people already living in this country but leave it to the likes of Peter McFerry and, Simon, and the Simon community to do what is the responsibility of government. Health and, health and housing services in this country are a disgrace. Okay, strong thoughts. Absolutely. As always, thanks to those of you who have taken the time to share them with us. Uh, if you'd like to add to what's been said, uh, you can give Maggie a call. Uh, you'll take a few more calls, I take it, Maggie? Absolutely, yeah. one or two. Okay, one yeah. Two. yeah. You're, you're feeling fit enough for us today? Absolutely. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Have a Barack, I'm give, grand. <laughs> an awful cold and I'm giving you a hard time. Terrible. All right, thanks for that, Maggie. And uh, if you would like uh, to talk to Maggie, maybe cheer her up with that cold. Uh, you can give her a call, 1850 number. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, there's a lot of things uh, that might lead you to believe uh, that uh, an election in the, the United Kingdom is imminent. Uh, but Fianna Fáil is saying uh, that there won't be an election here until after Brexit, if uh, both uh, statements are true. Uh, the question is, when might there be an election here? Michael Brennan is political editor with uh, the Sunday Business Post. And uh, a very good morning to you, Michael, and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, do you believe both statements are true to begin with? I, I certainly believe when I hear talk about uh, a British uh, general election that we're heading for one there, Michael, and um, the way Boris Johnson's rhetoric is so hardline. And in terms of the uh, election here in the spring, uh, that's been my view for quite a long time, that that's the most likely timetable. It just isn't possible for a good number of reasons to fit it in before the end of the year for, for practical reasons. Politicians don't like to have uh, elections in winter um, and also just the whole Brexit conundrum and the the notion of having Mm. trying to transfer power here while all that mess is going uh, over across the water would be very difficult. Well, what if Boris Johnson is blocked somehow from exiting the European Union without a a deal and is forced into a general election in or around October, before October or possibly shortly afterwards? I think what you could see play out then is, uh, you know, you, you have a very unknown result in that British election. It could be Boris Johnson coming back. It could be a Jeremy Corbyn Labour-led government coming back. Then they have to go to the EU and and look look for more time to to deal with the outcome of the election. So I think you're into another extension territory. If if for example there was another six month or longer extension for British talks, and that's in a in a best case scenario, then that would give a window for 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 the political system here to have an election, certainly in the springtime. But I think it's going to be very uncertain uh, next month and and obviously October, building up to that October. 31st deadline what exactly is going to happen mm. and and you have the small matter of our, our own budget on October the 8th to, to plan for as well Yeah and uh, how that will be influenced uh, by the prospect of Brexit or no Brexit or a Brexit with a deal or a Brexit without a deal that's right. Um, uh, uh, Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue has said there's two Brexit scenarios he's looking at for the budget. One is, the I, I would quip that it's a sort of the soft-boiled budget where there's a soft Brexit on October 31st and everything goes well. The other is option B, the hard-boiled one where there's a hard Brexit and Boris crashes out and we have a sort of economic uh, disaster in front of us. If that's uh, what happens and the, the mood music is very grim at the moment, then Pascal Dunhu will just have to meet the existing spending commitments that are there, the public sector pay increases that have been agreed already with the unions, 
the extra money you need for teachers, for the, the growing pupil numbers, but he won't be able to use this 700 million uh, of sort of extra resources, he says, that's there. That would all have to go to pay for Brexit measures to support companies and, and unfortunately maybe on extra social welfare payments for, for people who could mm. lose their jobs. And what if it's a suspended Brexit or no Brexit at all? Will he sit on whatever might be available to him to see how it pans out? I I think caution will be the byword here because just looking at the approach of Boris Johnson so far, if there isn't a general election in, in, in the process by the start of October, I think the British are going to be pushing this right to the wire again, perhaps in the foolish belief that the EU is going to blink. So in that case, Pascal Dunne, who just won't know what's going to happen um, when he's putting together his budget for October 8th, and he'll just have to go with the cautious scenario rather than, rather than be caught out. Uh, is uh, the prospect of by-elections uh, something that uh, we could do you expect the by-elections here because there's a, a number of empty seats in the Dáil uh, when do you expect those elections to take place Michael? I think it's very funny at the moment obviously there's quite a lot of people away in holidays and, and the discussion around by-elections isn't that feverish at the moment but the, the government's attitude seems to be at the moment that if they have to hold them, they'll hold them, and if they have to lose them, they'll lose them. Mm. But I think it's possible that the, the writ could be moved before the end of, of, of the year to comply with that uh, legally binding deadline that within six months of someone uh, vacating their doll seat, the government has to declare when the by-election will be held. So you could have, I think, a declaration before the end of the year in the doll of when the by-elections will be held, which could be early in the New Year, and then you would you would effectively they would they would be superseded by a general election. Then then and and you know you wouldn't have a sort of voters going to the polls on the double, because I think the government knows full well it's likely to lose all four by elections, and and that would be a big blow to its credibility. So I think they'd prefer to to wrap it all into one if they could. Uh, and uh, is it possible that they could hold off until the spring to do that? I, I, th- th- that is something I have to check with people to see to see is it technically possible but it certainly has been mentioned to me um, that there is a way the rule actually says you have to uh, call a date for them within six months it's not specifically to say they have to be held within exactly the calendar six months so, so that's something I suppose we'll hear a bit more about in the coming weeks OK Michael we'll uh, watch it uh, with great interest many thanks uh, for that uh, Michael Brennan political editor with uh, the Sunday Business Post Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, parents of uh, children attending Rathoth College who had objected to, to having to buy iPads for their children and had said that they wouldn't do so have now said that they will, that they don't want their children to be disadvantaged and in their children's best interest, they've conceded to purchasing the iPads going into next year. Let's talk about this with Independent Councillor Nick Killian, who's a member of the school board. And a very good morning to you, Nick, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us here on uh, the programme this morning. Uh, What has brought this about, do you know? 
Well, I'm, I'm not actually sure. I, I wasn't aware of it until uh, I got a call from uh, your good selves in LMFM this morning that this was the decision of the parents, which I very much welcome. And I think that the reason for the decision is something that all of us involved in education and all of us involved in this particular um, issue would be cared about, and that is the students. And I suppose when we look at the situation next week on the 22nd when the children arrive back, um, none of us want a situation where children are put at a disadvantage and I think we've got to move forward from what's happened over the summer it's been a very I suppose stressful time for parents in particular uh, it's been a stressful time for the community and um, there's no yet right or wrong answer in relation to this and I think I would have to reiterate something that's probably been missed out in the discussion we met in May for the first time reaching this subject and we made a decision then that everything would have to stay in place for this September new school year. A review committee would be appointed and we would move on from there. And the amazing thing that I have found over the summer in talking to people involved in education um, right across uh, Leinster that I've met at various situations um, is that the outcome of this review is going to be very much watched um, by mm. schools right across the country because it's going to set the template for the use of digital technology, iPads, call them whatever you want, mm. to, into the future. Instead of textbooks. And uh, it was uh, a protest that got a, a lot of national interest. Indeed, uh, the story is reported on in uh, the Irish Daily Mail today and it reports uh, a statement, uh, for now we'll all be focused on getting our children settled back to school if agreeable with everyone we propose uh, that when the dust settles we call a meeting to regroup update parents and plan on how best to further issues of concern thank you to everyone for giving generously of their time energy and experience together we are strong and they say that they can continue to make a difference through the review process that you mentioned a moment ago and of course they will because they're very much um, part and parcel of that review process the review process will consist of um, educational uh, people with experts in their in their in their in their own field, and th- very much at the centre of this is the views of the parents, the views of the students, and indeed the views of the teaching staff of the college as well. And obviously, there's the, the views of the board of management. But the most important people in this, the, the stakeholders, are the parents, the students at the centre of the usage, and then the teaching staff themselves. Mm. So that's going to be that's going to be prime in this and the people that have been involved and to be fair to them there was very strong held views on both sides of mm. this particular issue very strong held views and I, I suppose have that opportunity to be part of that discussion I suppose in, in this debate the students view is represented by their guardians uh, the parents and uh, those against this policy say they're the majority and the school argues that they are a minority where does truth lie well in my opinion, and I'm looking at it to a certain extent from, from the outside in, and so, in some ways, um, the situation is, yes, there's a group, a group of parents who came together with very strongly held views on this, and one has to respect their views in relation to it. Um, it got a certain momentum, but the discussions and the feedback that I've been getting locally is that uh, there's a, a core group, but that the rest of the students in the school don't have a difficulty with it. And that's speaking to children or to parents of children mm. in second year, third year. 
And well, the the parents who do have a difficulty with it have a difficulty for numerous reasons. Uh, one of those is they believe, uh, because this is uh, a policy that's been in place a, a number of years now, that students have been underachieving because of the use of iPads rather than textbooks. I, I don't accept that in any way because the results don't show that. I mean, there's very good statistics uh, produced by the Department of Education in relation to junior cert results and leaving cert results. And once again, this year, we've had excellent uh, leaving cert results in the college. And many of those students would have come through the usage of iPads uh, going back to the very start of 2012. So the 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 results prove a different story and show a different story. So, and, and that will all, obviously all come into the mix of the discussion that's going to take place with the review committee. But I, I, I certainly want a, a strong message to go out there today, and that is that the parents will definitely be involved and will have every opportunity. When the survey was carried out on the use of the iPads, there was a disappointing return. Only one third of the parents returned uh, the review forms that we had sent out under the direction of the Department of Education earlier in the year. So I think there's got to be a greater um, amount of parents involved in this discussion. Whoever that's put in place, that will be up to the review committee to do their own work. We're not going to set parameters for them other than to come up with a a result at the end of the day. Okay, perhaps uh, you'll come back to us uh, when that review is completed, uh, but we'll leave it there for the moment. Thanks, Michael. Go ahead. Thanks, Michael. Okay, thank you very much indeed. Independent Councillor Nick Killian, who's a member of uh, the board of Rathoth College. Now, as you've been hearing, there is uh, to be industrial action taken from the end of this month in uh, the two hospitals in County Louth, the Louth County Hospital and Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital. We're joined by Barry Cunningham, who's uh, the Assistant General Secretary for the Forza Trade Union. And uh, a very good morning to you, Barry, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, This is a dispute that clerical and administrative staff as well as health and social care professionals have with the HSE. Tell us more, if you will, please. Good morning, Michael, and again, good morning to your listeners. Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to you. Yes, Michael, you recall um, I would have spoken to you on, I suppose, around mid-July, around the 15th of July, in relation to this dispute. It centres around posts not being filled and additional capacity in the hospital. Um, as you're aware, there's been a £13 million investment in the hospital um, but yet there is a a complete deficiency in staffing numbers. We have a staffing deficiency across the health and social care professional grades of 23.7. That deficiency on the 1st of January 2019 was 17.5 full-time equivalents. By April it went to 21.5 and as I said currently it's 23.7. So instead of the situation getting any better it's just getting exasperated all the time Michael. Um, I know that I've spoken to you previously as well just in relation to the breakdown of that deficiency but pharmacy is one area that we're really concerned about. Currently there's a deficiency of over 10 whole time equivalent numbers in the pharmacy department. So that's across the health and social care professional grades and then when you look at the other flashpoint which is across our clerical admin grades the um, hospital have let go to agency staff in July and there was a threat for a further 12 um, clerical officers who are on specific purpose contracts to be let go by the third quarter of the year. Now that's 14 individuals. However, we've received information from management previously uh, to say that the actual number, the deficiency across the clerical grades is 27. Um, unfortunately, there have been a number of very sad situations across the hospital that the staff have lost 
members uh, who sadly passed away, those posts have not been replaced. There's one in County Louds at grade four level and also one in Drogheda. So, look, we don't want to be in this situation, Michael. Essentially, we have been in correspondence with management. We've been in discussions with management. I met with, along with the branch, met with the general manager, Fiona Brady, back in January, and we were given assurances at that meeting that no further capacity would be put into the hospital without the relevant staffing levels being in place. That simply has not happened. There is a complete lack of, I suppose, clarity from management um, that this issue is going to be resolved. We spoke back in mid-July. We're now in mid-August. We are looking at starting a work to rule um, on the 29th of August. Um, There's been an opportunity there for management to discuss this, to come to the table with some substantive substantive, um, responses, but we have yet to receive any. Uh, when you say uh, there's 10 vacant posts uh, in uh, the pharmacy department, that's out yeah. of uh, 23 other uh, uh, posts uh, short uh, in dietitians, physiotherapists, occupational therapists and speech and language therapists, but with 10 pharmacy staff uh, with vacancies there, uh, what's the full complement of staff? That seems a, an awful lot to be short. It is, absolutely. Um, it, it, it's massive. Now, there are panels in place mm. for like instant but ha- how many staff are, them, how many staff are employed overall in pharmacy just 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 to understand uh, how great uh, the shortage is well that's a 40% reduction in the numbers that they should have in pharmacy so how do the hospitals operate with a 40% reduction in the amount of pharmacy saying, staff all of the health and social care professionals are registered professionals there's an onus of responsibility and management to look at this I know we touched previously on in our interview mm about a, a report that was done in the United Kingdom called the Francis Report, which spoke about additional bed capacity being put into hospitals and, you know, not investing in the staff that are, you know, that should be there. And, mm. and the knock-on effect to that is huge. So I have a responsibility to both clerical grades, but also to the health and social care professionals that they can work in a safe environment. This affects patients. So the branch have met, and they've been very responsive in this. They've met, they've made a decision that we will absolutely start our work through on the 29th of August. We will be looking at areas that are not going to directly affect patients. And they're very clear on that. They don't want to affect patients. We don't want to be in this situation. What we're asking for is that management will sit down with us and discuss these issues. But what I'm certainly not going to be in a situation um, or position to do is sit down with management and have conversations like we had in January, which were promises that were made and not enacted. Is it, is, not is it possible for any of your members to work to rule without affecting patients? Well, what we're going to be looking at initially is around statistics and data and sick leave returns and, and a number of areas, and I'm not going to get into them in minutiae, mm. um, but what we're looking at doing is looking at areas that are not going to directly affect patients. Mm. Obviously, if the situation does not get resolved, it is going to get to a situation where it will affect patients, and we don't want to see mm. that. What, so what we're asking for is... Uh, and the, 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 the pharmacist will continue to fill prescriptions uh, because... Absolutely, I, absolutely. That, I, that I imagine that every single patient in every single hospital is uh, on medication or, or yes. uh, almost the case. Uh, absolutely, to particularly if they're leaving the hospital, they're being discharged mm. and they, you know, they have prescriptions. Because all of that is vitally important and we accept that. But what we cannot accept is a situation like this that is going to continue and continue and continue. And again, sorry to bear the point, but back in January, 
the deficiency across the health and social care professional grades was 17.5. We're now in a situation where it's 23.7, and that's towards the end of the year. Now, if they're investing 30 million in the hospital, in beds, in equipment, in pictures and fittings, and they can't invest in the staff who are working in the hospital, it's a very sad day. And that's a sad day for the region. I do not want to be in a situation where I am in a dispute. I don't believe that it is my job as an, you know, as an assistant general secretary to be in dispute with an employer. Um, I would pride myself on the ability to be able to sit down and negotiate, but you can't negotiate in a vacuum. Um, so management need to take this seriously because this mm. will, in the long term, affect patients. And I certainly don't want to see that. And I know that the lab branch of force don't either. And. Um- People might say, well, sure, look, um, there's uh, too many people walking around uh, the hospitals with clipboards and we don't need administrative staff. What we need are clinicians and uh, medics, uh, but they can't do their work without uh, the support. Just to give you an example, Mm. Michael, we had a general meeting yesterday in Our Lady of Lourdes um, Hospital and we had over... 80 members at that meeting. Um, now, if you take the fact that this is August, some people are on holidays, you know, health and social care professionals are there, but a lot of them are off doing their clinical jobs. But that is a huge turnout for our membership in Our Lady of Lourdes. That's the level of frustration and, and actually anger um, that is out there. It's palpable. We then went and had a general meeting in the County Hospital and we had over 30 members in attendance at that meeting. And what I'm being told quite clearly by our membership is they are no longer prepared to be treated as second-class citizens because it does directly affect the patients and nobody wants to see this. Remember, these are people who are working in a caring environment. We're supposed to be working in the health sector. It's supposed to be about patient outcomes. Patient outcomes will be affected if their staff numbers and the staff complement are not what they should be. I've said this before, there seems to be an ostrich in the sand mentality across the management um, in Our Lady of Earth and Low County that this situation is just something that they believe is just going to go away. It's not going to go away and I will not allow it to go away. There are panels in place across the country with professionals sitting there waiting to take posts. We have information Mm -hmm. about posts that have been sanctioned previously and still not filled. Uh, what about the 12 posts that are being filled by temporary staff? Uh, you're concerned... They're, they're under threat to be let go by the third quarter of this year, which is September. But does that extinguish those posts? There's 27 in total. So there's a, a range of posts, maternity leaves that aren't being covered, long-term sick leaves that aren't being covered. I've mentioned the fact that there have been some bereavements, unfortunately, across the region. Those posts have yet to be filled. So no posts are being filled. There are 13 people sitting at specific purpose contracts and they are under threat. So if those posts are gone, who does the work? And as you've mentioned previously, there's a knock-on effect then to the health and social care professionals, to the, you know, to the doctors, to the consultants. We have medical secretaries who are assigned to various consultants across the hospital group. And is it that they're not advertising for staff? Are they not advertising these vacancies? They basically have decided that this is a numbers-crunching exercise and that this is a financial cost exercise and that these posts have to be gone. We, at the moment, have medical secretaries who have not been replaced. So there are consultants who do not have a medical secretary assigned to them. So the medical secretaries who are assigned to other consultants Mm. are, at the moment, covering that work. That is not sustainable. And again, what we're saying is that will lead to one thing and one thing only, which is a negative outcome for patients. We are 
determined not to see that. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment. Barry, thank you indeed for thank you very much. Thank you, for your thank you very much. Barry Cunningham, Assistant General Secretary with the Force of Trade Union. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, Ryanair pilots are to strike on Thursday and Friday of next week. If you're planning to travel then, let's talk about what consequence there may or may not be for you. Dermot Jewell, Policy and Council Advisor with the Consumers Association of Ireland, joins us. Good morning to you, Dermot, and thanks for joining us. Uh, If you have Ryanair flights booked for next Thursday or Friday, should you be worried? Morning, Michael. Um, yes, to every degree you should, of course. Um, now, uh, history has shown us that by by this, first of all, what's key is the seven days notice. I'll explain the relevance of that in a minute, but we've got a full seven days notice that this is going to happen. Um, Ryanair predominantly will be in touch, as, as I say, as history has shown, with most of, of, of those who are likely to be affected. Um, and what they'll be trying to do is, well, they'll, they'll probably initially make a contact and say we're going to try to run and maintain a normal service um, then the closer it gets because consumers get very very upset and anxious quite correctly they will come back and say um, what we can do is we can they will make the entitlements that to which people are due which will be we can either um, offer you a full refund we will allow you to make arrangements for a flight at some other time or and this is where it may come first or last, but it's important that consumers understand they must organise some form of alternative arrangement for you to get to your destination, whether it's going or coming back. Um, in other words, it's it's a legal requirement upon them, an EU regulation whereby if they say there's going to be a strike, we have a problem, your answer is, I know you have a problem, Mm. I've paid, however, and your problem now is to reroute me under whatever circumstances you can to my destination. So if you're due to fly to London or Paris or New York next Thursday with Ryanair uh, and uh, the flight is cancelled and there's a seat on an Aer Lingus flight, they should pay for that? Yes, they should. Um, and it's it, it literally is that simple. It's probably not that simple when you're trying to enforce your right and say to somebody at the end of a phone, I, this is what I want to happen. But if you do know that that's your entitlement, you don't, there's no need to back down and don't take any you know weird alternatives um, that, that don't work. Now, in fairness, this is August. It, and, and flights, people, we all book flights mm. well in advance. Mm. It's not going to be easy to find alternatives. Um, and it may it may involve rather than a direct flight, two flights. Um, it, like it, you know, the crazy thing about yeah. it I, often is you're, you're sent far away from, from way far away from where you would normally want mm. to be going, to only to find a means to get you to the place where you're going. So, for example, fly from Dublin to Amsterdam and from Amsterdam to mm. London. That kind of weird situation could happen and could yeah, occur. Or a, a boat and a, a train journey. Or a whatever. boat and a train yeah. journey, yeah. exactly, mm-hmm. Michael. Yeah. This yeah. is it. It's, it's an alternative that they must do. The alternative may not suit you. You may not like it. Um, but they are doing what they're required to do. Or they can refund you, uh, which might suit some people, or they get you on the next uh, available flight. Uh, but uh, as you say, this time of the year, there's very few seats uh, available. What if you have your holidays booked and you're flying out next Thursday or, or Friday uh, and uh, the accommodation uh, is paid for as well? Uh, have you any come back there? 
if if it's on if it's uh, the easy the easiest one in all of this is if it's a package holiday and you book through a third party, great. Mm-hmm. Um, be in touch with them; they will probably be in touch with you, um, and and see what's being put in place to rearrange and restructure. Um, but if if it's if you've booked all of these individually on your own, then you really are on your own in in trying to make the arrangements because your deal is with the the airline, the the the, the accommodation. Um, they may be able to facilitate you if you're a day late or if you're mm. if, even if you're coming a day earlier. Um, it may be possible to to reorganise some arrangement with them. But that said, you need to understand again. It's this. It's this is why this frustrates people so much. It is holiday time. It's a peak time. Mm. It's very hard to make alternative arrangements. Very hard. Very difficult. Mm. And that's where the question always comes in of compensation. And just to explain on this score, when it comes to a strike situation, um, the, the EU regulation is fairly clear. It says where there are extraordinary circumstances that compensation is not payable. And extraordinary circumstances cover a strike. So compensation mm. is not payable. Mm. However, there is a but. And this is where I said earlier on, we've got a clear seven days notice. There's a requirement that for it to be deemed extraordinary circumstances, the notice must be a minimum of seven days. So that's happened. Um, and in, in, again, not to, to introduce any confusion out there, yes, there have been claims made for compensation, which the regulator allowed, but they've been challenged by Ryanair, um, and they're only due to be heard in the High Court mm. later this year. Um, and they were unusual there were five claims and the reason they were unusual is that the notice was less than seven days and that's why that's the only reason they have been if you like allowed to go through and considered as going through so it doesn't affect the normal abnormal situation of a strike Uh, and what might you claim compensation for Uh, could you be claiming compensation for the cost of the apartment or the holiday home if you can't get to your holidays because the flights have been cancelled because of the strike it's not so much that is what happens is there are set limits of compensation so yes you'll have to prove whatever the you don't have to. Pr- you, have, you do have to prove that you you were out of pocket or you had a problem. But the point being is the compensation applies depending on the distance and solely on the distance. So if it's up to fifteen hundred kilometres, that's a Dublin London flight. Realistically, um, if it's delayed or cancelled or overbooked, then you're entitled to a compensation fee of two hundred and fifty euro. Mm if it's not a strike situation. If it's more than that, let's say it's a further, as much as 3,000 kilometres, and the same applies, uh, you're delayed or you're you're seriously delayed or cancelled, or it's up to €400. The the, the next level is for long hauls, and long hauls don't apply with Ryanair. Um, That's where the €600 kicks in. But up to €1,500, or up to 1,500 kilometres, sorry, Michael, Mm. €250, up to 3,000 kilometres, €400. And I suppose where there does need to be some consideration of this is that you've made the point the strikes are, the strike is set for the Thursday and Friday the 22nd and 23rd if you are seriously delayed on Saturday the 24th or Sunday the 25th which is very very likely or you find that your seat is 
been is is uh, uh, they are advised. I'm sorry, the flight's cancelled. Make sure the flight is cancelled because you do not want to find yourself in a situation where your seat has been given to somebody who has f- suffered a problem on Thursday or Friday, the twenty second yeah. or twenty third, and are being rerouted or refacilitated. In that case. If you can find that you have been disadvantaged under those circumstances, then yes, you are entitled to claim compensation. Okay. What about holiday insurance? Holiday insurance, you need to check your insurance. The vast majority of people will, will, will just book a basic cover to get them from A to B, etc. But you need to check what the terms of the insurance are. Mm. And it's, 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 a, it's a good one to flag at this time for the future and we've done it before and um, if you are booking insurance try to put some form of cancellation cover in there it, it makes a lot of sense or rerouting in the event that somebody can't help you and it allows you to just go in and buy what will be if you're booking any flight for tomorrow or next week it will cost an arm and a leg and um, so you know if your insurance is there great but most people book a basic insurance and and insurance providers know that if you want this, it's a means of charging extra. So if you don't ask, it generally is not in there. Okay, well, it could be a tricky few weeks for people to get around with action also to take place in the UK and in Portugal and possibly further action after that. Uh, But we leave it there for the moment. Dermot, thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. Dermot Jewell, Policy and Council Advisor with the Consumers Association of Ireland, brings our programme to its conclusion. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.